Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, my guest is Christine Rodriguez. Christine is a yoga teacher, a social worker, and a Vedic astrologer. Christine has the podcast Astrology Now, and that's how I found her. I had dabbled a little bit in astrology in the Western system, and it never quite fit for me. And it wasn't until I discovered Christine and the Vedic astrology system that things started to click in and make sense. The Western astrology system is more concerned about the placement of the sun in relation to earth. The Vedic astrology system is a lunar-based system, so it's more concerned about the placement of the moon, but it's also more astronomically correct because it looks at the placement of the planets. So if you were to go outside and look at the placement of the planets and the stars, then the Vedic astrology system will make a little bit more sense. In order to have the best takeaway from this podcast, I would suggest going to innerknowing.yoga.com. That's Christine's website. Pulling up your Vedic astrology chart, and then you'll be able to follow along and things will make a lot more sense. But today we discuss all things Vedic astrology. We touch on the 12 houses, the nakshatras, the dashas, and the 2024 predictions. This was such a fun interview, and I hope you will enjoy it. If you are gaining some value from these um, podcasts, I would so appreciate if you would take a moment to like and subscribe. And I want to say I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, good morning, Christine. I'm so, so, so excited to have you on the Connected Community Podcast today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. When you asked, I was so excited and I feel like it's just such a privilege and and an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, I love that. You know, three years ago, I wanted to do a podcast and fear was holding me back. And then when I decided I'm definitely going to do it, um, your name was like the top of my list. I'm like, I definitely need Christine to come on because I feel so drawn to you and um, I really connect with all of your work. So I'm so, so excited to have you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for that. And I remember talking to you and looking at your chart and just thinking that you had such an amazing chart for a podcast. And it's just such an amazing way, I think, from your birth chart um, to express yourself and to share and to connect communities. So I just feel like it's such an appropriate name and an appropriate vocation. And so, again, it's just so sweet to be a part of it. And I really appreciate oh, it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's just dive right in. I'm so curious, like how you ventured into Vedic astrology and what your path has been with with astrology. Wow. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for asking me that. I feel like I haven't gotten asked this question in so long and it's so fun to kind of like review how I got here and um, just kind of reflect on the path. And so I actually was introduced to Vedic astrology when I was quite young. I believe I was 19 or 20 when I was introduced to Vedic astrology. And so in high school, um, my mother studied Western astrology and she was always like interested and talking about all of our sun signs and all of that. And I started noticing different correlations when I was 
again, like in high school. And I remember being able to like guess people's birthdays because I was like constantly like honing in, trying to figure it out. But the more that I looked at it, I was just kind of like, man, like there's something to this, but there's something I'm not understanding or there's something that I'm missing. And then when I moved to Austin, I ended up meeting my first Vedic astrology teacher. And that's when I was like, this is what I was missing. Everything made sense after that. So Mm, that's kind mm. of how I began approaching astrology and meeting my first teacher, Matab, when I was like in my early 20s. That's what really set me on the path of uh, mentoring with him and more deeply understanding Vedic philosophy. Yeah. And I love hearing that because I was in Western astrology in high school and always into Western astrology. And, and my sun sign in Western astrology was Virgo. And it fit kind of like the <laughs> responsible, practical, kind of grounded fit a little bit. Um, and I was so into it, but there was something that wasn't quite right. And then when I found you, actually, um, I, I started diving into Vedic astrology just at the, like January of this year, and wow. everything started to make sense. And I realized that, and Virgo isn't even in my Vedic astrology chart at all. There's wow. no Virgo. And when I started diving into Vedic astrology and looking, everything started to fit and the pieces made sense. Wow. Um, and so. I'm a big fan of Vedic astrology and, um, and it's a little bit new to me. So, and I know we don't want to dive deep into this cause this is in your podcast and we can kind of link to there, but what is the difference between like just the generalized difference between the two systems? Yeah. And I just, I just first want to validate, like, it's so funny because you have like a few planets in Leo, right? In the mm-hmm. Vedic system. Yeah. It's my son. It's so <laughs> funny. Like every single time I do readings for Leos, they're like, I knew it. I knew I was a Leo the whole time. Um, Leos have like a very distinct flavor. I feel like I love Leos. Um, but yeah, so the differences between Western and Vedic astrology. So as we know, um, there is a procession of the equinox. And so the way that the stars relate to Earth seasonally, they shift about one degree every 72 years. So Mm -hmm. if you were to step outside and look at the night sky on today is November 13th, uh, we're actually having a new moon. But if you were to go outside and, and look at the night sky, you would see the sun is currently in astronomically. It's currently in the sign of Libra. In 72 years, you step outside November 13th, it's going to shift a degree. Mm -hmm. So the stars in relationship to earth are shifting. So the sidereal system of astrology, the Vedic sidereal system, it accounts for that shift. And so it's astronomically precise. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, I encourage everybody, if they're newer to Vedic astrology, to download a star app and to go outside and look at where the planets are placed astronomically. You'll see that Saturn is currently in the sign of Aquarius. Sun is currently in the sign of Libra. It's about to shift into Scorpio. Um, and so it's important to understand that that Vedic sidereal astrology is true to the astrology. Mm-hmm. And so Western tropical system, it's more so focused on the position of the sun in relationship to earth and not necessarily the fixed stars, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why sometimes in the two systems, they're talking about the different planets or the different um, signs being in position, right? Exactly. Right now in sidereal astrology, we're getting ready for Scorpio season, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Western system, we already had Scorpio season. So Mm -hmm. you know, it's just different systems to track. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, mean, I think the thing that's interesting is that in Vedic astrology, everyone asks what what's important is your moon and your rising, your ascendant. Mm-hmm. Really, the sun is kind of just in the background. And in Western astrology, it's all about the sun. Yeah. Um, and the, our rising changes every two hours. Mm-hmm. And our moon is every two and a half days. And the sun yeah. is every 30 days. So our rising and our moon are much more specific and mm-hmm. targeted. Um and so, so, so I get confused when people ask me what my sign is now. I don't even really know what to say. What do you say your sign is? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I love that breakdown. I'm so glad that you like did the research on that to understand. Um, and so what I, what I talk about, um, with my clients is that, I mean, this is kind of, it's not a complex question, but it's kind of a complex question because Vedic sidereal astrology, it is a limb of the Vedas. It's directly connected to the Vedas, which are ancient texts from India. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, the science, the science of astrology is from India. So if you were to go to India and someone were to ask you what your sign was, you would say your lunar nakshatra. And mm. so that gets even a little bit more specific, specific. right? So, right? So the the sidereal system is a lunar-based system as you were acutely noting. Mm -hmm. And so with the tropical sun sign system, the sun is the most important sign. That's what everybody talks about. In the Vedic system, it's a lunar-based system. Mm -hmm. It's based off of the position of the moon. Mm -hmm. So where your moon is placed in your chart, that's one of the most profound and important placements. So you want to look at the placement of the moon, and then you want to take a step further and look at the nakshatra of your moon. Mm-hmm. And is so, that helpful? <laughs> well, and so the nakshatras are tricky for me. I, are there 26? Is that right? There are 27. 27. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about the nakshatras. That's where it gets really yeah. tricky for me. And, and mm-hmm. when I was reading about Vedic astrology, that's kind of where my brain just kind of exploded a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, oh man, nakshatras are um, quite specific again to the sidereal system. And I use I use any any Vedic astrologer will lean on the nakshatras heavily to make predictions. So mm. when we're doing predictions and we're looking at where the planets are moving and what's coming up for the year, for me at least, there is no way I'd be able to make the predictions that I do without looking at the nakshatras. Mm-hmm. Um, they offer a lot more insight into how the planets are going to be operating, uh, what type of effect they're going to be having on the world and on us personally. And it's as above, so below, right? If we're looking at transits and we're thinking about how the planets moving through nakshatras are going to influence us, it's the same thing when we're looking at a birth chart. Because a birth chart is a snapshot of the sky in a moment in time, Mm -hmm. and we carry that with us through our life. And so if the moon, where's your, do you mind if we talk about your chart a little bit? Is that okay? (laughs) So your moon is in the nakshatra of Danishta. So it's in the it's in the sidereal sign of Aquarius. Um, and so as you move throughout your life, you're going to be carrying the energy of the moon in Danishta. And Danishta is the rich one. It's the brilliant one. And so it, it really does have this tendency to shine, to stand out, to get noticed. It has a lot to do also with uh, being well-read, being educated, and so that the, the energy of the nakshatra, again, it's, it's carried with an individual through time and it almost shines through us like constellations, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so it's, it's a really beautiful thing to think about and to get into. But if an individual is interested in learning more about 
astrology, learning about their lunar nakshatra, the nakshatra of their ascendant, even the nakshatra of their sun. Um, that's an amazing place to start. And on Astrology Now podcast, I actually have a nakshatra series where I talk about all the nakshatras. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so those don't change. I didn't actually realize there was there was some for the ascendant and your lunar. Is that what you're saying? Every one of our planets is going to have its own nakshatra. Okay. So yep. that's where it gets so complicated because there's I the um, dashas too. Yep. If we're beginning Vedic astrology and we're just going to dive in and it's not going to get mm-hmm. too complex, where mm-hmm. would be a good place to begin to understand and and then where would we dive and go a little bit deeper and in, in what stages? So if someone were looking at their birth chart and just like how to begin deciphering it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because <laughs> okay. it's crazy when you look at it, there's so much information. There is so much information. And it's really important to remember that humans are complex, Right individuals person to person are so completely special and different and carry so many different experiences and perspectives. And because life is complicated and people are complicated, it only makes sense that astrology is going to be complicated too. Mm -hmm. Right. And so of course, you know, there are so many different facets and nuances to learn, which in my opinion is beautiful because it um, it, it gives each of us a method to discover those more intricate intimate parts of ourselves. And I do feel that the nakshatras offer um, kind of like a direct avenue for that. And so to answer your question about a newbie kind of coming into astrology and what to do, I would say that the best place to start is to look at your rising sign and to understand the rising sign because the rising sign does set up the path of life. And depending on the ascendant that you chose coming into this lifetime, Um, as we were incarnated, you know, each of us choose a specific rising sign, that rising sign itself is going to come with a specific set of karmas. And so for me, for example, I'm a cancer rising, you're Mm -hmm. a Scorpio rising, right? And, Mm -hmm. And for those who are cancer rising, they kind of come into this world with karmas around caring for other people, with nurturing, Mm -hmm. with the mother, whether it be the relationship with their mother or themselves as a mother. But there's a lot with caretaking, every single one of them, every single time. (laughs) Interesting. Like you'll find it like clockwork. For Scorpio, Mm -hmm. they come into this lifetime ready to transform. And they'll find Mm -hmm. that, you know, through their life, they have these very distinct chapters of time where they change and evolve and Mm -hmm. transform. And it's a life of transformation. Interesting. And so the ascendant (laughs) is... (laughs) And the ascendant will reveal those things. So really having a good understanding of this, the Vedic rising sign and and what the meaning is and what it entails. Then looking at your moon sign, Mm -hmm. because it's a lunar-based system, that moon sign is is very important. Looking at the sign that it's in and then also the house that it's in. Is Mm -hmm. your moon in the 10th house? Where you know it's about career and vocation and um, personal persona. It could be in the seventh house of relationships and intimate partnerships and Mm -hmm. professional relationships as well. The house that the moon is in will give us a lot of insight into where our mind and awareness is going to be focused because it's the moon, right? Yeah. So I would say to start with the ascendant, to focus on the moon, looking at the sun sign could be important, is definitely important. The sun sign is important too. Uh, Look at the house that it's in. So get a good understanding of those three placements and Mm. then look at the nakshatra. And start diving into the meaning and the symbolism because each nakshatra 
has its own planetary ruler, which again, I know it complicates things. That gets, yes, that's another level. (laughs) So before getting into the ruler, really get into the mythology or the Mm -hmm. story, I should say, the stories behind the nakshatras. Because it's amazing how those stories can reflect in an individual's personal life. Mm-hmm. So really understand the stories behind the nakshatras and the energies of the nakshatras and just see how it relates. It can be, you know, it can be quite profound. Um, I, it's, it's so interesting just how literal and how um, potent it can be. My current partner, when I first met him, I knew, I was like, you have planets in Murugashira. He's a mountain guide. He's always in the hills. He's always like wandering and seeking. There's a nakshatra that's specifically the wandering mm-hmm. star. And I was like, you've got Murugashira. He has three planets in Murugashira. Mm-hmm. So if you just really learn the energy, you'll be able to start reading people and yourself, of course, in a very, very deep, complex, and intuitive way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very I think interesting. one of the ways that I learned is that the rising sign is kind of how you present yourself to the world. Is that right? So when I when I meet you, I'm going to, that's going to be the thing that's going to get projected out the most where the moon is like your essence, your being, your emotions, your feelings, kind of like how you work at that deeper level. Is that a correct understanding? Yeah. You know, I really love that interpretation. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so the way that I usually think about it is that the moon specifically is who we get to know right? It is the deeper, more emotional, intimate part of who we are, who we get to know with our friends and with our family members. Mm -hmm. Whereas perhaps the sun, you know, the sun has a lot to do with our public persona and and how people view us in the outer world and and like the first impression that people get as well. Mm -hmm. I think about the ascendant. I do think that what you were saying is true. I do think that there are parts of the ascendant that people notice And I also like to think of the ascendant as who we are when we aren't influenced by the external world. Um, It's it's almost like we're born and then as we're growing up, we're influenced by community and by our mother, which influenced the moon sign, our father, Mm -hmm. which influences the sun sign and these other planets. And when we really strip those layers back to get to like who we really are at the core of ourself. Mm-hmm. That to me is the ascendant, and that's what I found to be pretty consistent for the majority of people I work with and and meet. Does that mean like our morals, our ethics, our values, what we find and hold important? Is that what you mean? I I think you know there are different. It's a little complicated because there there are placements that are going to determine like morals and ethics and values mm-hmm. and like like I'm thinking of the ninth house and Jupiter and Venus. But, um, but I think of it as really like our, our personality and what we find value in and, uh, how we portray like, or how we feel about ourselves even as well. Like Leo, for example, Leo is a good example. Um, like Leo ascendant, you know, Leo is the sign that is very loyal and there's a lot of internal pride in what they do, rather it be work, their relationships, their kids, whatever it is. They're going to feel this desire to take pride in things. Um, They tend to be very generous, very compassionate. Maybe there can be a little bit of vanity. You know, maybe there can be a little bit of uh, ego sometimes. But if that sun, you know, Leo is ruled by the sun, that the words I just described, right? Like, or how I just described Leo, I should say, Mm -hmm. that is fundamentally Leo. 
But if there's some sort of an affliction in the birth chart, it could make an individual feel shameful or it could make them feel um, like they can't fully express those parts of themselves, mm. even though they know that's who they are. Does that make sense? So it's like the ascendant has those fundamental building blocks of how an individual truly feels on the inside and then how the planets are placed is going to be how we express that energy throughout our lives and how we can more or less utilize and interact with that energy. Mm-hmm. Does I know that make so sense? Com- it do- it kind of does. And then it's just so, it's so complex. Like every yeah. layer just gets more and more um, fascinating. And then that's how with Vedic astrology, I feel like the more I learn, then the more I realize I have no idea. <laughs> You probably know a lot more than you think you do, for sure. Um, Perhaps, you know, I described it in a way that's a little bit complicated. Um, But in essence, you know, the ascendant is what we're comfortable with and and who we're really striving to be. And then how the planets are placed is going to give us insight into how we connect with that and maybe even how we can attain it or maybe even not attain it in life. You know, Mm -hmm. if someone is a cancer rising and they have certain afflictions in their charts, like, cancer wants security. It wants to create security for other people and it wants to feel secure inside. There are some Cancerian natives who will excel at that naturally. And there are some with different traumas and different hardships where they'll struggle to find security for themselves and they'll struggle to create security for others, even though on the inside, that's what they want the most. And that's how they want to move through Mm -hmm. the world. So hopefully that's a little bit better of an example. (laughs) And so with the planets, because I know that the planets have huge influences, the outer planets and the and the major planets, what does it mean in a chart where in the 12 houses, there's no planets? Yeah. So there are, as you said, there are 12 houses in Vedic astrology and the 12 houses indicate different facets of life and have, you know, different um, meanings and symbolism. And so when planets are placed, in the 12 houses. It's essentially like shining a spotlight on that house. So that house is getting particularly activated and there is a particular energy. So for you, you've got three planets in the career house, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got three planets highlighting it. It's it's in the public eye. It's having people, you know, take a look and, and just being shiny. That's what the 10th house is. If it's the seventh house, again, it's lighting up relationships. It's it's almost bringing a karma to relationships. Where the planets are placed is going to indicate that there is a specific karma generating and getting mm-hmm. expressed in that house. And so naturally, people are like, well, oh my God, I don't have plants in the seventh house. What does that mean? Or I don't have planets mm-hmm. in the 10th house of career. What does that mean? We also want to take into account aspects. And so there are planetary aspects where the planets are essentially gazing Um, and there are, every planet has a seven aspect, and then there are some special aspects as well for certain planets, but essentially understanding the aspects will reveal to us that even if a planet is empty, it could be receiving a lot of planetary influence. And then we also want to consider dispositors. And so this is when everything becomes a rabbit hole because Mm -hmm. every sign has a planetary ruler. And depending on where that ruler goes, it's going to give us insight. So someone could be looking at their chart and be like, I'm totally career driven. I don't have any plans in my 10th house. What's going on? Your 10th house could be exalted. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the the 10th house ruler could be in the strongest sign. And so that is going to give the 10th house a lot of power, could be aspected by many planets that's giving it a lot of power. 
even though there aren't planets placed in it, it doesn't mean that it's not receiving any strength. How would you know if it was exalted? So there are different points of exaltation and debilitation. And so that's honestly, when I'm teaching astrology, that's one of the things that I guide individuals in learning first Mm -hmm. is the signs that govern or the planets that govern, I should say. So for example, um, Aries is ruled by Mars. Mm-hmm. Taurus is ruled by Venus. Scorpio is ruled by Mars. So for you, if we mm-hmm. were looking at your chart, first house ruler Scorpio, we would want to see where Mars is placed. Mm-hmm. That's going to let us know a huge area of your life, a, a lot of where your focus is going to be. Um, those signs that we're discussing um, are going to do more or less beneficially with the planet. So again, for you, you're a great example. This is perfect. So for you, your first house ruler is Mars. It's in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Mars is exalted in Capricorn. Mars is debilitated in Cancer, which makes a lot of sense, right? Cancer is the sign of the kitchen and homemaking and caring and feelings and nurturing. Mars is the warrior. Doesn't want to be making beds and taking care of babies, right? So again, for those individuals listening who are wanting to learn more, Mm -hmm. understanding which planet governs each sign according to the sidereal system, because it's different between Western and Vedic Mm -hmm. slightly, and then um, learning the exaltation points and the debilitation points. Yeah. What, how, what do you do when you run into somebody and their chart is just a hot mess and there's a (laughs) lot of debilitated um, planets? Debilitated planets. Yep. Yeah. And then um, a lot of conflict and a lot of turbulence and, a, and how, how do you wrap your head around that and explain that and work through that with them? Yeah. You know, I think that's a great question. And something that I learned very on with Vedic astrology is that you can never jump to conclusions and debilitated planets and exalted planets tend to actually be wild cards. They need to be assessed quite closely. Pablo Picasso had three debilitated planets. So it's something that you have to really kind of move through mindfully and understand the nuance of. The other thing is that this is cosmic insight. We're we're considering divine influence. And so to me, anything that we're looking at, any type of placements, we're embodiments of planetary energy. We're embodiments of divine influence. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, we could be looking at a chart where maybe there are some challenges or maybe there are a few more obstacles in life. But the reason that we have insight into Vedic astrology is so that we can understand ourselves better, so that we can live a more full life and to learn from different facets of ourselves that we may not even be aware of. You know, we may be moving throughout life, having a lot of struggle with intimate partnership and relationship. You get a Vedic astrology reading and it's like, you have a tendency to stay in abusive relationships. You have a tendency to subject yourselves to things. You have to really dig deep for self-worth and fulfill your life, you mm. know, for yourself without seeking fulfillment through someone else. That's going to mm. help. And so you see that, you start working with it, you work on yourself, you apply, you invest time, energy, and effort, you get results, you make a difference. You know, the, the chart is intended to help us grow, evolve, and transcend. It's mm-hmm. not going to try to damn us. It's not going to try to limit us. We have the insight so that we can use it to grow. Mm-hmm. And I hear that in your podcast too, is, is that um, 
October, November, December, and then 2024 are going to be kind of a volatile period in time in the United States. And it's not like something dark and scary. It's just like, let's get prepared. Let's get our bodies healthy. Let's wrap our head around this um, and use it as a tool versus um, where I've heard other astrologers that are Vedic astrologers where I listen to their podcasts and they're kind of dark and scary. Um, And it doesn't have to be that way. It can be that used as an insight and a tool to deepen our understanding of something or kind of help us prepare better for it. I agree. I mean, I agree with what you're saying entirely. And I think it's so important to remember how much power and influence we do have. And I think that it's kind of like a conspiracy in a way uh, where perhaps, you know, powers that be don't want us to know how powerful we are and how much influence we have and how much we really can change our own life, the lives of people around us, have an influence on community. And I think it's very important to remember the power and influence that we have and take action on that every day. And for me, understanding the planetary energies is profoundly helpful um, in, in navigating challenging times because, you know, the world's going to happen whether we're aware of it or not. And so if we Mm -hmm. have insight to it, that does help us prepare in how we react. But if we just kind of succumb to it and think that we're powerless and everything is just going to happen, it's like that's, that's, again, like you were saying, that's not necessarily the most helpful way to use the science. Mm -hmm. My understanding of how um, Vedic astrologers are reading the chart for like the United States is that United States has like a birthday and time. Mm -hmm. Is, Is that correct? Yep. And so yeah, what is so that we, time or day? Yeah. So, I mean, if you want, I can I can pull it up right now because there are actually two main charts that astrologers use for the United States. And so some people listening may use a different one. I use July 4th, 1776 at 629 p.m. in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So that's the specific chart that I use for the United States. Mm-hmm. And the really cool thing about astrology is that everything has a birth time and a birth date. So if we start a business, when we you know, yeah, signed yeah. the contract or we brought it into existence, our business has its own birthday. Um, a relationship can have its own birth chart. Um, but again, I think that countries specifically are very interesting if you're doing world predictions because you can generate a, a birth chart. I was doing research last night. And I was seeing something about France getting taken over. And I was like, man, I wonder what was happening for France. So I drew up the French, you know, birth chart and looked at the Mm -hmm. transit. So it's a super powerful thing to use. And so what about the birth time? Because it's it's so specific, especially with that ascendant, right? And so what what about you know, baby's getting born, who's looking at the clock, who knows if the clock's right, the battery's slow. Like, how do we get that exact birth time? Um, I I was born in another country and literally there's no birth time on my chart on my on my birth certificate at all. So I had a birth time rectification with a mm-hmm. a Vedic astrologer in, in India. Um nice. and I'm not sure if it's completely right. And then it could be that minute or two that makes a difference. So how do you work with people that don't know, or they know it and it's just like not fitting right. And you think, well, maybe it's a little bit later. Yeah, this happens. This definitely happens. And I think that um, it's, 
it's a lot easier for me with people in my personal life who I get to observe. One of my best friends gave me her her birth time and she has the type of birth chart where it shifts, like you were saying, by two or three minutes. And so for years, <laughs> I've been watching you know, her life and when she got married and when she's like getting pregnant and all these things. And so I don't think that her birth time that her parents gave her were, was correct. I think that it's different, mm-hmm. right? And so like you were saying, um, there are these there are birth times where it can change just by a few minutes. And so um, I look at the chart before we hop on the call. And so I'll see that they have that type of chart where it may shift. Mm -hmm. And then I develop questions to ask to kind of narrow it down. And then because we have an hour or half an hour, we just do our best. Um, And if I'm doing the reading and they're like, "Mm, I don't know, this doesn't really fit, then I'll be like, okay, let's, let's shift it and go from there and see what we can do. And so that's really how I handle it with clients, just because we have a limited amount of time. And sometimes we'll hop on the call and they'll be like, hey, I gave you noon, but truth be told, I actually don't know (laughs) my birthday. It's happened before. It's totally okay. Um, And so if that's the case, I kind of scrap it and I'll do a reading from Chandra Lagna. And so Chandra Lagna, Chandra is the moon. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lagna is the ascendant. So ascendant, Lagna, rising, all means the same thing. So the Chandra Lagna is where we rotate the chart to read the chart from the moon. In mm-hmm. Vedic astrology, we look at transits, as I'm sure you're aware of. We look at transits from the ascendant sign as well as the moon sign, and both transits are going to work. Both of them are absolutely going to work. And so that being said, we can also look at the moon chart, the Chandra Lagna, and understand a lot about a person, particularly from the more um, inner emotional perspective. Okay. So mm-hmm. focusing on the moon mm-hmm. because it's, it's not, yeah. That's kind of last resort. You know, I'll do that. Like I was saying, if we hop on and they're like, surprise, I actually don't have a birth time. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually if we have, a you know, an hour or two, I'll, as I described, kind of ask personal questions about their life to try to narrow it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting when I did the birth um, chart rectification because the astrologer asked me all of the dates that significant things happened. Um, And it was, you know, deaths, births, accidents, um, things with vehicles, property, real estate, um, graduations. um, And then through that information, he was able to narrow it down. And then I still wasn't sure. I went back to him a year later and then gave him even more specific things. He's like, nope, this is your birth time. I'm absolutely sure. And, it, and he, he pulled up all these charts and just kind of showed how he had narrowed it down. Um, and, and the science and the astrology behind it was super fascinating. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm so glad that you had that opportunity. Um, having a chart rectification is like not a joke. Like it's incredibly time consuming. <laughs> like it's actually quite rare to like find people who will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding someone who did it, especially from India, I just think mm-hmm. is like such an amazing opportunity. And I agree. I mean, I remember doing our reading and even just knowing your chart now, I feel like it, it suits you so well from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this astrologer did an outstanding job but it is, um, it's absolutely possible. It's just very, very time consuming. And that goes back to what you were discussing with the dashas, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the planetary periods of time 
And that is a whole other rabbit hole to dive into, but understanding the dashas and the planetary periods that will help astrologers really get insight into what an individual was likely experiencing at different times of life. Right. So when we're born, we're born into a dasha. Each dasha mm-hmm. is, is it seven years? The dashas range oh, they in do range. duration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So each planet has its own time. Um, mm-hmm. And depending, this is showing, this is revealing how important the lunar nakshatra is. Mm-hmm. Depending on the lunar nakshatra that you were born under, that's going to set you into the pattern of your dasha. Mm-hmm. So for you, because you're Danishta, you were born into your Mars dasha because Danisha is ruled by Mars. Mm-hmm. And so someone who was born with their moon in Porva Thalguni, they would be in the Venus dasha because Porva Thalguni is ruled by Venus. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then am I getting that mixed up with the, like now I'm in my Saturn, Saturn Sati and then, and then um, in a couple of years, I'm going into my Mercury. Is that, what is that that I'm talking about? <laughs> I love that. So, um, so you mentioned two different things. You mentioned your Sati Sati. Uh-huh. And so Sati Sati is not in relationship to Dasha's. Okay. So Sati Sati has to do with Saturn and Saturn's position in relationship to the moon. Okay. So because your moon is in Aquarius, mm-hmm. while Saturn is in Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces, you'll be in Sati Sati. So Sati Sati is seven and a half years. That's what it like okay. translates into. Okay, that's what I <laughs> And so <laughs> you're like, oh God, you're halfway through it. But it's it's the sign before, it's the sign of, and it's the sign after. And so if someone is born with their moon in Gemini, Sati Sati mm-hmm. would be when Saturn is in the sign of Taurus, Gemini, and Cancer. Okay, those three signs, right? Okay. Um, and you know, Sati Sati, I tell everyone this. It's like if you Google Sati Sati, it's like WebMD. Like don't Google Sati. Don't mm-hmm. don't do don't well, yeah, do it. Because, just because Saturn Sati Sati is super scary and awful. <laughs> You did it. We went on WebMD. What's that? (laughs) Yeah. Before we chatted. (laughs) Not today, but like, yeah, the first time I learned about it, I was like, this is not good. Um, So I hear that. Yes. You know, and and something I'm sure that I told you in the reading is that we have to be so mindful when assessing Sati Sati. People listening, you know, they're probably going to Google if they're in it or not, or if they're in Aquarius or Pisces. Um, Sati Sati can be an outstanding period of time. Mm-hmm. And it really does offer an opportunity to show up fully to what we believe is worth committing to. And Saturn, it is the planet of discipline and hard work and commitment and ethics. And if we operate in that way, it's going to give good results. There mm-hmm. may be big changes, there may be ups and downs, there may be external fluctuations, but there are these opportunities to grow and evolve in monumental ways. John mm-hmm. Lennon became famous during his study sati. You know, it's like we have to be really, really mindful with how we mm-hmm. approach study sati. And if your moon is in Capricorn or Aquarius, you're actually lucky because Saturn enjoys those signs. So mm-hmm. it's you get off a little bit easier with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it's those, um, those turbulent times in life where life throws us all those curveballs, that that's where the greatest leaps and bounds and changes happen within too. So it's it's that other side of the coin. 
Yeah. And it's, it's amazing that you can hold that, you know, through the fluctuations, because when we have that wisdom of understanding, like, oh man, I've been through vacillations before I've been through challenges before I've had some losses before, and it resulted in something I couldn't have even imagined mm-hmm. in, in a beneficial, positive way. And so it's just like holding on to that, you know, if, if you're experiencing it and if you're moving through it, it's like, who knows mm-hmm. how wonderful the path is going to be here in just the next couple of months or even in a year, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's important to remember that, or, or it's been important to me to remember that through the challenges that I've been through in life is that even when it's challenging, you know, if I hold on to hope six months, a year down the line, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I did that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the study sati is a planetary period. And then the in terms of Saturn's transit, in terms of how Saturn is moving in the sky. And then the dashas are planetary periods that um, activate certain planetary energy. And so all of us are in a different dasha. Whatever dasha we're in, it's going to activate the certain planetary energy in our birth chart. It's kind of like a chapter of time in a way. And so for you, like you were saying, you're in your Saturn-Jupiter dasha. You're almost to Mercury. You're going to have this huge transition. (laughs) What was that? I'm just laughing because it's like, yay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're going to move into Mercury and you'll be in this Mercury dasha in September 29th of 2024. So you're really on the home stretch here, getting out of Saturn. And, you know, when we move from one Maha dasha into the next, there's usually a lot of really big changes. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find that your life is probably really going to transform between this year and next. Mm-hmm. And it's in Mercury, you know, and Mercury is about communications and being friendly and um, trade and commerce. It's in your 10th house of career. So it's going to be activating career stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a nice transition getting getting away from the Saturnine mm-hmm. influence. Yeah. I mean, this has been a, a massive year of uh, growth internally for me, just um, so many shifts in perception and understanding and, um, and, and diving into like pain and going really deep into past traumas and things like that and growing so much from that. It's been, um, hard, but beautiful. Um, and so it's interesting to know that, there's an end to that. I mean, I think that's where this information can be really helpful is like, yes, this is the seven and a half year period. It's, we get our lessons and growth from that. There's an end to that. It is going to be a different chapter. Um, and knowing that we can move through these chapters. And I, I think that's another way that astrology can help people is, is understanding where they are now, what's happening, why it's happening. Um, looking at the shadow self. I mean, Let's talk a little bit about that because I, I love shadow work because I think when we dive into the parts that we want to disown and that are ugly and not so beautiful and, and difficult and painful, then that's where the growth happens. So how do we look it, it, with that perspective? How do we look at our chart and figure out where we can grow the most? Yeah. Mm, I feel like that's such like a rich and deep question and it can be it can be quite specific, you know, to each individual's birth chart. Um, and I, I want to touch on very briefly something that you had mentioned in terms of using astrology as a tool to know when more challenging times would end. I think it's that is one of the best 
reasons to use astrology, in my opinion, to know when the challenging times are going to come and when the beneficial times are going to come and, and how to fortify ourselves for the challenges, but then also how to set ourselves up for success when those positive times are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and the really beautiful thing about Vedic astrology is that it's not just like, oh man, it's Sati Sati, it's dismal, good luck. It's we have all of these amazing planetary remedies. We have Saturn mantra, Saturn mudra, Saturn meditation, things that we can listen to, uh, different gems that we can wear. It comes with all of these different ways to support us and it's built into the system. And I think that that's very magical. And uh, to answer your question, though, about how to look at our chart and understand, um, you know, how, how to really work with some of the more challenging facets of our chart. Again, um, it's quite specific to the individual's chart. I would say that the moon is quite important to assess because it is our mentality. And we could have the best chart in the world for success and material achievement. If the moon is heavily afflicted, we won't be happy. Mm. We can have everything in the entire world, but we're going to be prone to certain uh, mental challenges that make it hard to feel happy and fulfilled. So the moon is going to determine how naturally fulfilled mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. And so assessing the moon, learning how to work with our lunar energy and our moon placement. Saturn is another important planet to look at because Saturn is Saturn. It's the it's the great malefic. It's the planet of karma. And so depending on where it is in our chart, oftentimes there are kind of like heavier things that we could potentially be needing to work with or to address. Rahu and Ketu are the karmic nodes of the moon. Wherever there's wherever they are, there's going to be some sort of karmic indicator for us to work with in a significant way. And so that hopefully is a is a good answer for you. I know mm-hmm. that um again, I know that it can be like quite a nuanced and specific answer, but hopefully that gave you a little bit to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned Rahu and K2, and I know that there's a lot going on with that right now. Can we touch on that briefly without (laughs) making it too complicated? Yeah, of course. Um, So Rahu and K2, as we were discussing, they are karmic notes. Um, Everything they do has to do with karma, rather it be in our birth chart or for the collective. And something that's also very important to note as an astrologer when I'm mapping out the year every year, what is very important to pay attention to are the eclipses. Mm-hmm. Eclipses are eclipses because they involve the energy of Rahu and Ketu. That's when the karmic stuff really comes up. Um, so just sharing that to demonstrate the power mm-hmm. of Rahu and Ketu and how influential they are and and things to look out for as people who are newer to astrology. But and we've just As had a ton of eclipses too, right? I mean, we've just, that October is full. We've just gone through tons of eclipses. Right. Yeah. So we went through our second eclipse season in October. And, you know, like we were knowing, anyone who was following Vedic astrology at the beginning of October, we were like, all right, everybody get ready. This is going to be a big one. Mm-hmm. And it turned out changing the course of time. You know, mm-hmm. we're experiencing a very huge pivot. And that's what happens when we have a really powerful eclipse, karmic, karmic stuff. Um, And when Rahu and Ketu change signs, they stay in signs for 18 months. So it's about Mm -hmm. a year and a half of time where Rahu and Ketu hang out in two of the 12 zodiac signs. 
So according to the sidereal system for the last 18 months, Rahu and Ketu have been in the signs of Aries and Libra. And Aries and Libra, Mm -hmm. it's what it sounds like, war and peace, right? Mm -hmm. That's a a lot of the focus. And um, even speaking to the nakshatras, this was something that was just completely outstanding uh, for me is before the 18-month cycle, I was doing research on Rahu and Ketu through the nakshatras of Aries and Libra. And I was noticing, I was like, man, a lot lot of stuff comes up with reproductive rights. And I was like, I think that something with reproductive Mm -hmm. rights is going to come up this year. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, but Mm -hmm. remember how we were talking about the nakshatras Mm -hmm. and how important they are to assess um, predictions. And so Mm -hmm. Barney is an Aries and it's about literally the yoni. It's about the female reproductive organ. So it's, it's super interesting. Um, so that was kind of the previous cycle with Aries and Libra brought up a lot around war and peace, sense of individuality versus finding diplomacy and harmony. I mean, bringing up issues with humanitarian rights, with justice, with fairness. Um, and so now we're preparing for this new cycle that will take place at the end of November where Rahu enters the sign of Pisces and K2 will enter the sign of Virgo. And so this is a new 18 month period when the nodes change signs, it tends to shake up a lot globally. Mm -hmm. And it also tends to shake up a lot in our personal lives, particularly if we have planets in those signs. If we have planets in Virgo or Pisces, it's going to be a really big year for people. Not Mm -hmm. in a bad way. It's just a it's a time where, you know, things will change and transform. And depending on our chart, different areas of our life will um be highlighted, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um And so Pisces and Virgo is going to be really interesting. It's going to be an interesting cycle of time. I've actually been doing research on it and preparing to record for my podcast this Friday. I'm going to record it today. So Mm -hmm. can you give us a tiny little snippet of what you, what you, uh, your podcast will be released before mine. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, so what I've been finding with, with Rahu and Pisces and K2 and Virgo specifically is that Pisces is, first of all, it's a water sign. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a final sign of the zodiac. It has a lot to do with conclusions. It has a lot to do with endings. It has a lot to do with burning, which is no longer essential. So there can be like conclusions to things and um, the end of an era and things like that. Virgo is about health and wellness. Mm-hmm. It's also about uh, natural remedies. It has a lot to do with the earth. And so right off the bat, I was seeing a lot of focus on matters related to the earth. So laws in terms of regulating the environment, uh, regulating pollution, you know, things of that nature, kind of like protecting the environment and all of that. And then with Pisces, I actually saw many hurricanes, lots Mm. of natural disasters with Rahu and Pisces because it, it's it's literally the water sign. So I do see a continued focus on water, water as a resource, and also natural disasters involving water for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and earthquakes, I saw quite a few of as well. The other thing that I saw that was so fascinating to me is that Rahu has to do with like innovation and it has to do with um, technology and technological advancements. There were so many firsts when it comes to air travel and flight. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there will be a lot of innovation around flying and travel and also space exploration. There were a lot of new um, discoveries. Pisces is like the liminal space between material reality and the ethereal. Mm -hmm. And so 
there's like this desire to explore what's beyond. And mm-hmm. so I do see there being quite the focus on space exploration. With Virgo having a lot to do with health and wellness, it was so fascinating. I saw a lot of technological advancements with medicine and with health and and different um like exploratory procedures. Mm-hmm. And I still need to look a little bit more deeply into this because I do there are other things happening astrologically that would lead me to believe that we will continue to see a focus on natural remedies. But I actually saw a theme historically where there was almost like a turning away of more holistic natural health and turning more towards like having pharmaceutical innovation and having um, more, again, like exploratory procedures, more innovative procedures and that relied more on like technology. So you know, for me, it's like obviously I'm, I love natural medicine. I would love to see a renaissance with Ayurveda and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of that. So I'm a little bit biased. But um, but having having advancements in medicine is great, you know, if it's actually if – it, if it's helping people and helping to cr- mm-hmm. create change in some way. But with Neptune and Pisces, I think is going to continue this trend on exploring – uh, psychedelics and and things like psilocybin and things like that as medicine. So I, I think that that will continue too. And I'm curious how far you look forward. You're personally like you. How far do you look forward? So do you mean looking forward in my own life or looking um, like I'm curious about the future of our consciousness as a planet? (laughs) That's a big, deep question. Um, Like our evolution of in that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm always looking forward. (laughs) I'm definitely always looking ahead into things. Um, I, I think that as a collective with Neptune and is going to be in Pisces for the next several years. And I actually think that Neptune in Pisces is really great for collective consciousness and people being interested in spirituality and connecting to something that's beyond. And so I actually think that this is a really great time to be alive for spiritualists and people who are seeking higher consciousness. And with Rahu and Pisces, I think that that would amplify things. You know, Rahu kind of brings this emphasis and it brings a a spotlight like we were talking about before. And Pisces is the most spiritual sign of the Zodiac. Rahu and Pisces is quite brief, right? It's only 18 months. But Mm -hmm. Neptune is going to be in Pisces for the next several years. And Neptune does really well in, Mm -hmm. excuse me, in the sign of Pisces. Um, And so globally, when it comes to consciousness, again, I think the next several years is actually pretty nice. I'm sure you've heard before on the podcast we're kind of in this interesting juncture point, particularly in the United States, because we are having our first Pluto return. Mm-hmm. And so for for us here in the United States, you know, I think that the next couple of years, are you in the United States right now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think that the next several years is definitely going to prove to bring some really big, deep transformations in a way that kind of forces us to focus on um, that which is tangible, uh, resources, stability, security, because Pluto is in the sign of Capricorn and it's about resources and security and stability. And so I think that we'll all be kind of finding this balance between what is practical and what brings this sense of daily security so that we can focus on 
consciousness and meditation and spirituality. You know what I mean? Um, but in terms of the community, in terms of the nation, um, you know, Capricorn is government structures. It has to do with the economy. It has to do with currency. We're seeing the rollout of uh, digitizing money. We're having a lot of really big economic shifts. People are really seeing, and excuse me, you know, maybe not all of us agree with this, but from my perspective, it seems that there has been a lot of corruption that's come out about the government and about different leaders being involved in things and people mm-hmm. who are celebrities being involved in things. And, and you know, the the mask is kind of slipping off. And I think that mm-hmm. people are seeing that. And I think that people are really going to be wanting a change. And that's mm-hmm. what Pluto Return does. So mm-hmm. I think that we're in for some pretty big, you know, Shift. shifts and changes, but it's growth. And the cool thing about Pluto is that though it promises change, it also promises rebirth. And so it's really important to know that, yeah, sure, things may be, kind of shift around, things may change, but there is going to be a rebirth at the end of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I think when I listen to human design and I listen to um, Vedic astrology and I read between the lines, I've kind of gotten this thought, and I don't know if it's so far off, but that this whole system of government structures, organizations, you know, money, all of that might in a way collapse and then bring us to the essence of what's important and valuable and that there'll be either a rise in consciousness for people or there won't. And almost like if that, the ones that aren't, that aren't on that train get a little bit left behind. Does that sound crazy? (laughs) I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I would say more or less, that's essentially where my mind has been. And I think that's something that I've been talking about a lot uh, to people in my personal life and uh, my partner and friends is that a change is going to come. And this is why astrology is important, right? A change is going to come. We could make the change, you know, try our best to promote a change in the direction that we think would create a better future, or there will be some other type of change (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we're going to witness. And so it's like, whether or not, you know, something's going to change in terms of how things are structured and how things are done. And I think it's very important for all of us to focus on what we can control and and creating the change that we want and promoting the change that we want and not sitting on our hands because things are going to change. And that's where the rebirth comes in, right? Because it yeah. sounds horrible that our, you know, government systems, organizations might collapse. Who knows if that'll happen, but there's that potential. And then that can be a really volatile, difficult time where we kind of have to dig in, but then there's that rebirth, that rebirth yeah. of the system, the rebirth of the human and the um, awareness, um, just even knowing that something like that can potentially happen, um, and preparing ourselves mentally that, that what's happening today might not be the reality in a month or a year from now, and that it'll be okay. And that we'll be able to grow and expand out of that experience. And so, um, so I love that. I love that perspective. At least that makes me feel better at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And I just, you know, something for myself is that it's like when I do research, it's I go back in time and I'm like, wow, people have lived through some wild times. Like this is the nature of living reality. In the Vedic, in, in Vedic philosophy, there are the three main gods. There's Brahma, the creator, there's Vishnu, the preserver, and there's Shiva, the destroyer. And living reality operates in that 
way. Something is created, it's sustained, and then it changes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is just what it means to be a human on planet Earth. You know, things kind of shift and evolve, and we've all kind of lived through some stuff. <laughs> and and it, it's it's really like you're saying, it's it's integrating it in a way that's healthy, and it's integrating it in a way where we can still have love and compassion and try to grow and evolve and really sees the power and control that we have in our own lives, which is, again, so much more than we're probably aware of and also so much more than the external world probably wants us to know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always try to remind people of that because we're, we, we run, you know what I mean? Like it's the people that have the power. Mm-hmm. And I think that we forget that. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you all day. I know. You're so Um, fun to talk to. I'm like Aquarius moon. Let's talk about consciousness. (laughs) So fun. I'm so grateful for you. I thank you so much for coming on. And I would love for you to just share how people can find you and connect um, with you and learn from you. I... Friday morning, the first thing I do is I wait for your podcast to pop up. And it's the first thing that I listen to. And I've learned so much. And I know you have courses and all kinds of things. So I'd love for you to share that. Oh, well, thank you so much. And that just means a lot. I'm really grateful. Um, Yeah. So my Instagram is astrologynow underscore podcast. My website is innerknowing.yoga. And so on my website, you can find um, the podcast. You can find my Instagram. You can also find a link to my program that I run once a year, it's the Inner Knowing Vedic Coaching Program. And so that's a huge part of my life. I'm really grateful um, to, to get to participate with amazing individuals every year. And we talk a lot about the Vedic sciences and utilizing Vedic astrology in our daily life to support our growth. And I believe that that's it. I do weekly horoscopes on patreon.com slash astrology now podcast. And one of the questions that you had sent me in the email when I, when I was requesting some preparation questions were where people can learn. And so, I mean, of course, what I have to offer is astrology now that it's a, that's a podcast. It's available online. I also have a few YouTube videos on YouTube. Uh, some of my favorite books is one of them is James Braha. It's ancient Hindu astrology for the modern Western astrologer. And then I also love um, Dr. Foss's book on mantras for the planets. And so I definitely recommend those two to start. And yeah, those are two of my favorite reference points for astrology. Are those like easily digestible for beginners? I think so. I think that uh, Dr. Foss's book for uh, planetary mantras, it really offers beautiful insight to uh, remedies for planetary influences. So if you get an astrology reading and you know that you need to support your Mars, he'll have a specific planetary mantra for your Mars. And I just think it's it's so well done and it's so beautiful and the introduction is so beautiful. So that one is really for planetary remedies and learning how to connect with the planets in an intimate way. Uh, James Braha's book, I think, is a perfect launching pad. I do think that it's very easily digestible. He uses like old school language, which, and he would say this himself, it can be a little intimidating Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you could read something where it's like, oh my gosh, that sounds scary. So that's like a little bit of something to keep an eye on, but it definitely gives like, um, kind of like an authentic experience and, I love it. I use it in my program to help teach people. And so I think that it's very digestible for beginners. Awesome. And you do, you're doing Fridays, you're doing half hour readings still, right? 
I do offer half hour readings on Friday. They're currently paused for the next six months because I began my coaching program. So when I do my coaching program, all of my attention is focused on them Mm. and also my Patreon clients. And then after six months, I'll open my readings again. Okay. Ah, thank you so much. This has been such fun. I super appreciate you. Yeah, Nikki, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been such a great time talking. And again, I could probably talk with you for three more hours and not know what time it is. So just thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Connected Community Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.